Welcome to the podcast for Gateway Baptist Church. You're listening to a message from our Redlands campus. Find us at gatewaybaptist.com.au If you'd like to connect with us as we seek to change lives by following Jesus in our community, our nation and our world. Well, good morning, everybody. Lovely to see you in church on the most important day of the year. The one day of the year we pamper our fathers. The other 364, we pamper the mothers. Well, our house, anyhow, that's how it happens. Happy Father's Day. I know a lot of the women in this church, and today many of you will have been spoiled rotten. I have an image of it. You're sitting up in bed. You've been crowned king for the day. The pillows are fluffed behind you. The stable table across your lap. Bacon and eggs, mushrooms, baked beans, hash browns, sausage, it's all there. Over to the pile of toast this side. Over here there's the orange juice, the cappuccino, the Sunday mails beside you and the beds littered with Father's Day gifts. That's your reality this morning. More power to you. It's my annual Father's Day fantasy. <laughs> I've been married, I'm oh, sorry, I've been a father 52 years and I'm still waiting for my first <laughs> breakfast in bed. But I've got faith. I've got faith. I haven't given up. I'm like Brisbane Broncos and Essendon supporters. There's always next year. (laughs) I've noticed that uh, over the years, my Father's Day gifts have changed. I could almost rely on it. Socks and jocks. Socks and jocks. Now it's gift cards. You can never have enough Bunnings gift cards. As a matter of fact, this morning, I woke very surprised. A Bunnings gift card. (laughs) 50 bucks, that's at least five minutes. (laughs) I heard the story of a, a wife who was struggling to know what to get a father's day, a father, her husband for father's day. So she waited until the kids got home from school and she knew she'd have trouble to keep them uh, concentrating for a while, so she gave them Coke, Tim Tams, and she said, what do you think we should get your dad for Father's Day? Well, the kids came up empty. Nothing. Not a thing. So they disappeared and she thought, what am I going to do now? So she did the wise woman thing. She called up five of her mates and said, tomorrow we'll meet at the coffee shop and we'll work out what we're going to give each father for Father's Day. So they met there, 10 cappuccinos, macchiatos, mogolocos and whatever else. Six hours later, nothing. Not one of them. So by the time she got home, she was pretty wired. Eyes are sticking out. She's there in a fa- with her husband at the table and she just blurted out, got too much for her. What do you want for Father's Day? Without even looking up from his phone, he said, why don't you just surprise me? <laughs> Three o'clock in the morning, Father's Day. He's snoring like a train. She leaned over near his ear and went, boo! Just over a week ago, Sam sent me a text and said, the theme for Father's Day is classic. By then, 
it was too late for me. <laughs> I was well into today's message. So I've agreed to use the word classic several times. <laughs> I've already told two classic Father's Day jokes. And a bonus, as a bonus, I'm going to throw in some classic slides. The first classic slide is a classic misunderstanding. January last year, Jason Fitter said, I'm concluding my ministry here at Gateway Redlands. And so the search began for someone to replace him. Initially, we eventually got to hear that Sam Jackson was going to come. I went to a meeting here where we were going to meet him. I expected this guy to turn up. Instead, we got this bunny. Classic misunderstanding. But here's some more classics. Classic breakfast that many of you didn't get this morning. Classic car. An Alfa Romeo could not possibly be a classic car. Classic album by a classic band, Wolf Mother. The Phantom, the classic, the ghost two walks. Nearly Christian, isn't it? The ghost two walks. Four and 20, had one Thursday night at the footy. It's a classic meat pie. And yes. <laughs> ah, the classic football team. I'm glad to have my daughter here this morning who's a Collingwood supporter. Let's pray. <laughs> I finished the introduction. <laughs> Heavenly Father, we invite your presence here today. Lord, I, I acknowledge, Father, that I only got human words, and that's all they'll remain, Lord, unless you anoint them and turn them into spiritual arrows, Lord. Father, speak to us this morning, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to start by acknowledging that for many people, Father's Day is not a great day. It may be the first Father's Day that you've had without your dad. It may be that your dad's been gone a while and Father's Day just reminds you of how much you miss him. Others find today hard because fathers are not a good memory for them. Fathers aren't always what they should be. I grew up in a non-Christian, dysfunctional family. I came to the Lord at the birth of our third child in the labour ward of the Karangan District Hospital when I was 33, not so long back. My father was a womaniser, a smoker, an on and off heavy drinker. He was separated from my mother for probably about the last 20 years of uh, his life, but they never divorced. And strangely enough, they're in the same burial plot. I can't even remember having a conversation with my father. At some point, we were living in Queensland at the time, he moved out of the family house and moved into a caravan under the carport beside the house. At some time later, the caravan was moved out to one of his mate's farms and he spent the last 10 years of his life living in this caravan under a peppercorn tree isolated from his family. He wouldn't know one of my kids if he ran into him in the street, or any of his grandkids for that matter. It only came to light 
after my dad died in hospital just how many affairs he'd had. One of them so long-term that the nurses thought this woman was his wife and gave him all his possessions after he died. All I learned from my father is I didn't want to be the dad to my kids that he was to my brothers and I. I know many of you have a far more tragic story than that. You know what real pain is inflicted by fathers. Some of you have to grow up without a father. Don't know your father, never met him. Some of you struggle as single parents with no father on the scene. Today will bring up all sorts of memories for you and pain. And I want to apologise on the behalf of all fathers for the way you've been treated. Not meant to be that way. Of course, there are many fathers who won't be with their family today, can't be with their kids, and they'll find it today too. But because of that bad image of father, many people struggle to relate to God as a heavenly father. Praise God, many of you have had classic fathers. And you find it easy to relate to God as your heavenly father. The key to what sort of father you had is the adjective that describes that father. Rotten father. Great father. Absentee father. Involved father. Abusive father. Loving father. Earthly father. Heavenly father. See, the father that we're meant to relate to as a proper father, is our heavenly father. And that makes all the difference. And we need to learn to differentiate between the way our earthly father may have treated us and our heavenly father and the way he wants to treat us. He's perfect. He's loving. He's communicating. He's gracious. He's faithful, steadfast. He was willing for his son to die for our sin. God is not like any earthly father. I don't care how good your earthly father is or was. He'd only ever be a reflection of our heavenly father. You see, if we know Jesus, we have a perfect heavenly father. And he wants to have a perfect father-son, father-daughter relationship with you. He loves you like you're his only child. You are the apple of his eye. He knows you by name. Don't confuse your image of your earthly father with your image of your heavenly father. He's perfect in every way, and he can be trusted. Two of the most difficult things that we do in life, we get little training for. Marriage and fatherhood. And I want to assure you that I'm not standing today talking because I'm a perfect father, a classic father, because I'm not. I just bumbled along from one mistake to the next. I never got any teaching on how to be a father until I became a father. And that's the way it's been since the beginning of time. In the early chapters of Genesis, nowhere do we read that Adam and Eve are having a stroll in the Garden of Eden and one day God just tapped Adam on the shoulder and said, Adam, we need to have a talk. I'm going to bless you with children soon. So you need, we need to talk about how to become a good father. The only instructions that Adam received from God were those four classic words, be fruitful and multiply. That's the easy part. We'd had four kids before we worked out what caused it. <laughs> no instructions on how to be a father, just have some kids. And like the rest of us, Adam had to learn on the job. 
And fatherhood is a real challenge today because there are certain segments of society who are saying that fathers are obsolete. We don't need them anymore. The word father itself is gender specific. It's non-gender inclusive, so we need to get rid of it. And so it's suggested that instead of fathers, we be called NBPs, non-birthing parents. Isn't that something to look forward to next year? It's happy non-birthing parents day. Dads, enjoy Father's Day while you can because political correctness has you in its sights. One of the things I love about the Bible is that it doesn't try to hide the bad stuff. It doesn't sugarcoat everything. And the Bible doesn't shy away from bad fathering. It doesn't say all biblical fathers were classic fathers. Some of the greats of the Bible were not good fathers. I want to contrast two fathers from the Bible today, one good, one bad. We're going to look at the bad father first, and believe me, in the Old Testament there are plenty of bad fathers. But my nominee is the worst father in the Old Testament is King David. King David, a man after God's own heart, was not a good father. Listen to what his four sons got up to. Now, these four sons had different mothers, so there's a bit of sibling rivalry going on here. But firstly, there's Adonijah. When David is dying, he's laying on his deathbed, struggling to take his last breaths. Adonijah decides he wants to be king, so he declares himself king. It failed. So then David dies, and Adonijah again decides he'll make himself king. This time his brother Solomon killed him. Then there's Amnon. Amnon raped his sister Tamar, so he's killed by another brother, Absalom. And then there's Absalom, who, as well as killing his brother, he decided to try and take over his father's throne by stealth. He waited outside the city gates, and if the people came to see the king, or King David, or they left, he would get to them and say, oh, look, I would have done better than that for you. Oh, I would have done this for you. And then when that failed, he tried to have his father killed. Then there's Solomon. Solomon, as well as killing Adonijah and others, and despite being claimed to be the wisest man in the world, had the biggest brain fade in the history of the world, he had 700 wives, 300 concubines, and allowed his foreign wives to turn his heart away from worshipping God to worshipping idols. Now, I've told you once before that I'm writing a Bible, the ROV, the revised Rob version, it will say a little bit differently to what that says. Because mine will say that Solomon had 700 wives, 300 concubines, and 700 porcupines. You see, if you had 700 wives, you've got 700 mothers in porcupine. No. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not having to go up. I love my mother-in-law. But one was enough. It took me a long time to train her. David's son's behaviour doesn't necessarily make him a bad father, does it? Because Ezekiel tells us that we're all responsible for our own sin and the sins of the son are not the responsibility of the father. But listen to this verse. 1 Kings 1, 5 and 6. Now Adonijah, whose mother was Haggith, put himself forward and said, I'll be king. So he got chariots and horses ready with 50 men to run ahead of him. His father, King David, had never rebuked him by asking him, why do you behave as you do? The message version says, David had spoiled Adonijah rotten as a child, never once reprimanding him. Sorry, reprimanding him. Adonijah ran wild 
without accountability, without responsibility, without any boundary set by his father. He was too busy keeping the thousand women in his life happy. I think he wouldn't even know their names. But my point is this. Here's point number one for today. There's only 11. (laughs) Dad, set boundaries for your kids. Setting boundaries is becoming unpopular teaching in today's world. Child experts are saying that we shouldn't set boundaries for our kids. We should let them set their own boundaries. Only problem is the kids don't know they need boundaries, so they don't set any. I wonder if this lack of setting boundaries is being reflected in the juvenile crime epidemic we have in south-east Queensland at the moment. This is what child expert Chrissy Positek writes. Today, many households have mini-democracies where a children's voice or opinion is equal to those of their parents. In some families, the child's voice even takes over. The pendulum has swung from focusing on children's behaviour to focusing on children's emotions. With this, however, there has been an exponential rise in anxiety disorders in children and teens. Parents still need to be in charge to create a secure and stable environment for their kids. In particular, parents are responsible for setting boundaries in the household. Today, in many Christian families, there's been a subtle shift from Christ-centred parenting to child-centred parenting. That's just the Christian way of saying what Chrissy Pothotek just wrote about. There's no reason to think David didn't treat all of his sons the way he treated Adonijah. And his son's behaviour seemed to reflect that. David's um, style of setting no boundaries, parenting or fathering, was disastrous. What happened to the classic parenting verse in Proverbs 22.6? Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he won't depart from it. Let me remind you, that's a wise saying. It's not a promise from God. There's a difference. One of our primary roles as fathers is to set boundaries for our kids, to hold them responsible. Because if we don't, the seeds of narcissism and entitlement, which is epidemic in today's society, will just grow and grow. Our Heavenly Father set boundaries for his kids. They're called the Ten Commandments. That's all ours, boundaries. Not to constrain us, but to set us free to become who he created us to be. Dad, set boundaries for your kids so that they can fulfil their potential. Now let's look at one of the great fathers in the Bible. If you've got your Bible with you, in whatever form you have it, turn to Luke chapter 15, the classic story of the prodigal son. Here's point number two. The father made time for his son. Luke 15 verse 12 the youngest son said to his father, Father, give me my share of, my, of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Now, note the son is not very polite here. Give me, give me my share of the estate. What the son's actually saying to the father, because the estate's not usually wound up until the father's dead, is I wish you were dead. But the point I really want to make here is that when the youngest son wanted time to talk to his father about getting his share of the estate, The father made time for his son. When he needed time, he gave it to him. Surveys show that the three things a teenager is most likely to hear from his father is, I'm too tired. We can't afford it. Ask your mother. 
A survey of kids' helplines show that 60% of their calls come from 10 to 12-year-old kids wanting more time from their parents. Dad, it's in your power to remedy that. When your kids want time, give it to them. Make time for them. Be available. Here's number three. The father didn't try to live his son's life for him. Verse 11. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. There are times when we as dads would love to live our kids' lives for them. We can see they're making a bad decision, a bad choice, getting into a bad relationship, going the wrong places. But as they get older, we have to take our hands off. We have to let them make their own mistakes. They have to make their own choices. That's a part of our kids growing up and growing to independence. And it's a part of our fathering to let them do that. Number four, the kid's love for his son was unconditional, verse 20. So he got up and went to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw, saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The love of the father was not conditional upon the son doing what he wanted him to do. Because I wasn't shown love by my parents, I lived with my grandmother from the age of four to 12. When my younger brother was born, mum was very sick, so I was shunted off to my grandparents. I didn't doubt my parents' love, but it was never expressed. And as a result of that, one of the things I've really, really struggled with is showing my love to our five kids. Then I married into a classic family of huggers and kisses, and I thought, what sort of incestuous family? I mean, they'd come at me like this, and I'd... <laughs> I have to work on that. See, this father couldn't care less what his son had done. He was home and he wanted to show him that he missed him and that he loved that he loved him, and he wanted his son to know that he missed him and that he loved him. Fathers, tell your kids you love them. Express your love in as many ways as you can and make sure they know that they're loved. Number seven, the father forgave his son, verses 22 to 24. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the breast robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate, for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Forgiveness is one of the most difficult things we ever have to deal with. But you know, forgiveness is a choice. It's a decision of the will. You have to make the choice, the decision, that you're going to forgive. It's not about whether someone deserves your forgiveness. It's not about whether they've earned your forgiveness. It's not about whether they've asked you for your forgiveness. You have to make a decision to forgive and treat that person like they never needed your forgiveness. That doesn't mean you forgive and forget. That's impossible. Don't try that. Don't set yourself up to fail. What happens to a parent's love for a child after they've committed some horrible crime? They stop loving their child? No. Can't understand what they've done. They hate what they've done. They wish what, that they hadn't done what they've done. But they don't stop loving them. A classic parent's love or father's love is unconditional. You don't stop loving your kids just because they do something you wish they didn't do. 
I'm very thankful that God doesn't stop loving me when I do something he doesn't want me to do. And I try that out pretty often. Number five, the son never gave up on his son and prayed for him. Verse 20, while he's still a long way off, the father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. The son's return was the father's prayer morning, noon and night. The son's return was God's answer to the father's prayer. A good father never gives up on his children. He believes them. He has faith in them. He has patience with them. But he prays for them. Pray for your kids nonstop. Number six, the father expressed his love for his son. Verse 20, he ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and what have I done here? I've done something back the front and kissed him. You see, fathers, it's a big, we've got to do more than we do. Number 11, don't exasperate your kid children. I've got these all out of order, but don't worry about it. We'll get there. Only takes one page and you're gone, doesn't it? The father loved his kids equally. Playing favourites is never a great way to be with your kids. Four of our younger daughters, so I've got four daughters, the three younger ones are continually jockeying for the fave daughter position. They're terrible. They joke about it. Playing favourites is a bad thing. The father loved his sons equally. This is verses 25 to 31. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard, his, heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him, what's going on? Your father has come, he replied. Your father has killed the fatted calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you killed the fatted calf for him. My son, the father said, you're always with me. And everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again and was lost and is now found. The older brother couldn't understand the actions of his father. He felt his father was favouring the younger brother. He'd claimed his inheritance. He'd wasted it. He wasn't entitled to anything else. Instead of being disciplined by the father, the father rewarded him by giving him a party. A party that should have been given to the older brother. He'd stayed at home. He'd obeyed the father. He kept the farm going. So what the son was really saying was the classic line, it's just not fair. How do you love your kids equally? I watched an interview once between a well-known TV reporter and a woman who was nominated as the mother of the year. It was a good interview until the woman said, without her faith in God she wouldn't be able to be the mother she was. Well, the interview went downhill from that point on as the interviewer said about the classic game of let's ridicule the Christian. The reporter's final question was, you have eight children, but which one do you love the most? And the mother said, I love them all equally. And the reporter said, that's an impossibility. You can't love eight people equally. 
Otherwise, relationships like marriage wouldn't work. We're hardwired to love one person more than we love others. You must love one of your children more than the others. Which one is it? The mother thought for a moment and then she said, when my daughter broke up with a boyfriend and she was heartbroken, I gave her more love than I gave the others, but I still loved them all equally. And when my son broke his arm playing football and couldn't play in the grand final, I gave him more love than I gave the others. But I still loved all my children equally. You see, the father loved the boys equally. When the younger son came home and needed more love, the father gave it to him. When the older brother came complaining about the way that the father was treating his younger brother, he gave him more love because he needed it. He loved them equally. Fathers, get involved in your kids' lives and love them all like they're the only one to love. Yeah, three more and we're very quick. And they're not from that passage, okay? Number nine, fathers, be the man of God you want your kids to be. Titus 2.7, in everything, set them an example by doing what is good. Young people today are looking for role models. Fathers, be a role model to your kids. Show them what someone totally committed to God looks like. I've had to deal with too many young people who were raised in a Christian family but have turned their back and walked away from God because of the difference between dad at home and dad at church. When someone says to your kids the old classic, you're just like your father, it should be the greatest compliment they'll ever receive. But it can be a compliment or it can be an insult. Kids forget something. You're just like your father. Kids lose something. You're just like your father. Kids do something silly. You're just like your father. Kids do something good. You're just like your mother. <laughs> I'm the first to admit that all of our five kids got their brains from Jenny. They must have. I've still got mine. <laughs> um, I'm looking forward to Father's Day 2023. Now, four now. <laughs> Fathers, we need to make sure that when our kids... Said, told by someone else, you're just like your father. It is the greatest compliment that they can ever get. Number 10, love and respect your children's mother. Like I, not like I just did. <laughs> that was an example of what not to do. Okay. Ephesians 5.25, husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. If you want your children to love and respect their mother, then you love and respect your wife. Show them what love and respect looks like. I can tell you, dads, it's a tough gig to love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Do your kids know how much you're willing to give up for them? They should. Number 11, don't exasperate your children. Final one. Ephesians 6, 4. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. The older versions say provoke your children to anger. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. This verse used to be my, used to be my kids' favourite classic line, tongue-in-cheek, they'd quote it to me whenever they weren't getting what they wanted. <laughs> you're, you're not letting me go to that party. You're provoking me to anger. And I always respond with the classic parent's line, children, obey your, Lord, your parents in the Lord, for this is right. <laughs> to exasperate or provoke means to be unfair to play favourites, to discourage, to dishearten. And dads, we constantly do that 
when we're finding fault and we're over-negative and we're critical. Encourage your kids. Support them. Focus on what they've done instead of what they haven't done. And I want you to note the second part of Ephesians 6, 4. Do not exasperate your children. Instead, instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Parents includes fathers. Too many home, in too many homes, fathers have abdicated that role, handed over to the mother and leave her the job of training a kid spiritually. Parents includes dads. Get involved in your kids' lives. Being a father is a tough gig. But God knows our struggles as a father and he's willing to help us. The world keeps crawling out, there's no need for fathers. At the same time, God is calling out, there's never been a greater need in the history of the world for fathers. Our Heavenly Father is our model. Let him be your role model for your kids' sake. Dads, how many of those 11 fathering principles that I mixed up are you conquering? Set boundaries for your kids. Hold them responsible. Make time for your kids. Don't try and live your kids' life for them. Love your kids conditionally. Never give up on your kids and pray for them. Express your love for your kids. Forgive your kids. Love your kids equally. Be what you want your kids to be. Love and respect your kid's mother. Don't exasperate your kids. Psalm 127 verse 3 says, Children are a gift or a heritage from God. The Message Bible says children are God's best gift. When we start to see our kids as God's gift, we'll start to treasure them as we should. Dads, are there some areas in your fathering that you need to focus on? You know, the first step to changing to become a better father is to admit that I need to change. I need to become better. Maybe there's dads here today who are struggling, who are making mistakes, and you know it. You can either say, as a father, I did the best I could, or you can say, as a father, I did the best I could with God's help. I wonder if there's anyone here today who needs God's help. Is anyone here today who has the courage to stand just where you are to admit that as a father, you need God's help? See, we need to respond. We need to be better fathers. And I want you to know that if there's a seat here, I'd sit down and I'd stand. Because my challenge is, dads, if you want to admit that you made some mistakes, you need some help as father, just stand where you are. I'm just going to pray for you. There's no more than that. Not anymore. Thanks, dads. We do need help, don't we? It's not hard. And as you get older, then there's your grandkids. Same thing. It's a struggle. We need God's help. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are just that, our Heavenly Father. And Father, you know that as earthly fathers, we struggle. We make mistakes. We don't have all the wisdom that we should have. We're not the father to our kids that we should be and we're not the husband to our wives that we should be. And Father, we're asking your help. We're asking, Father, for a special infilling of your Holy Spirit, the spirit of fatherhood, if that exists, Lord. Help us, Father, to raise our kids to know and love you. Help us, Father, to be all that you require us to be. When God was looking for someone to stand in the gap, he couldn't find one. 
Today, God's looking for fathers and he's found some today. Father, help us, Lord. Help us to stand in the gap. Help us, Father, to resist the temptation of the world to give up. Father, fill us with your spirit. Help us to be better fathers, Lord. Help us to be an echo, a mirror image of God the Father, our Heavenly Father. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you've been blessed by this message. If we can pray for you or you would like to take a further step in your relationship with Jesus, we would love to get connected with you. Please head to gatewaybaptist.com.au and click on Get Connected to let us know.